everybody doing this morning? Good. Good. Um, if, you're, if, you're, if you're new here this morning, my name is Michael Page. I'm the campus pastor here at Connection Church in Pooler. Um, if it's your first time here, I just want to give you a special welcome. Um, this morning, I just really um, want to do things a little bit differently than I usually do. And I think that if you're new here, this might be a little strange. Maybe, I don't know, but it might not be. Who knows? Um, if, you're, if you're not new here, then it might be strange. How about that? Um, God just really put some stuff in my heart that's really, I'm not even sure if I can get through. I'll be honest with you. Um, That, that song we just sang was, was really important to me. Um, I'm chosen, not forsaken. And I think it's easy to sing that, right? A lot. As, as Christians, as believers. Um, this morning we're going to be talking about the ten lepers that Jesus healed. And the one that came back and said, You're God. I see you for who you are. And the other nine that left and just took him for granted. Went back into the religious system and went back to what they're used to. Went back to what was comfortable. Um, and I'm sitting there thinking about, like, I'm, I'm chosen, not forsaken. God's chosen. God's given me salvation through Jesus. But how many times do I forsake him and not choose him? You know, that's just what's on my heart this morning. So as we're going this morning, I just want to kind of talk to you guys about that because that, it's really something that, I know we like to talk about, and it's really romantic to say, but whenever we leave these doors, sometimes we don't really believe that. And whenever we believe that, we may say we believe that, but we don't live like that. Because someone who lives chosen lives differently. Someone who lives chosen, they are, man, God is using them in a way that is uncommon. And this morning, I just want to, I just want to reiterate, guys, God loves you. God sent Jesus for you. That's a, that's a huge love. For someone to send his son to die on a cross for us. That's huge. Like you're not jacked up in his sight. You, he sees Jesus when he looks at you if you're in him. Listen, I, I, we're all, we all have our stuff and we all have gone through stuff. We've all experienced stuff. This morning, I want us to come to the foot of the cross together as, as, a, as a body of believers. Um, if you're not saved and if you don't know Christ or if you've been living in a cycle of religion, and you, wherever you're at, I just want you to come in this place this morning and really experience the love of Christ like it was meant to be experienced. Every time we come in this place of worship and celebration, my heart is for us to encounter Christ, not some fabricated idol that we worship every week, but a living God, not one that's distant or dormant or dead, but a living God of the universe who created all things and sent His Son for me, for you. That's what I want. That's my heart. No matter where you're at, no matter how old you are, no matter what you've done, who you've done it with, no matter where you come from, what language you speak, we all have that one thing in common and is is that the love of Jesus that was lavished on us on the cross. And so many times I take that for granted because I'm so I'm such a creature of habit. I go from the next thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. And one day I just wake up, I'm like, man, I'm missing it. Look, look what God has done for us. He's given us the greatest opportunity that's ever been offered to anyone throughout the entirety of history. God's sending his son to restore us back to himself. That's the greatest story that's ever been told, the gospel. That's huge. And this beautiful invitation that God's offered all of us this morning, and offered all of us, not just this morning, but anytime you open the pages of scripture, it begs the question that, that what, what, what am I going to do with Jesus? What am I gonna do with that? 
Because that, Jesus is, is not something that we can just push to the side. It's a, it's, a, it's a question that needs to be answered. What am I going to do? And, you know, last week we, we, we finished up a series called Counterfeit. And Counterfeit was basically calling out the broken system that the church has become, that it's adopted over the last 1,950 years, that's been completely, largely ineffective in, in, in carrying out the, the mission of what God's called us to do in reaching people and making disciples. God said, go, make disciples baptize, teach, but somewhere along the way, these commands to go have become just basically some things to do that make it easier for us to live in our comfort zones and more and a little bit less damaging on our checkbooks or something like that, but, but, but they're completely disobedient to the calling that God's given us. And we pointed out how we've, we've taken the Great Commission, we've watered it down to a Sunday morning service instead of utilizing the influences God's given us to carry out the mission that He's called us to. Instead of being, being who God destined us to be, resting in His finished work on the cross, we've begun doing things to, to get to God, to work my way to Him instead of trusting the finished work that He did for me. To live, being versus doing. Our being is going to produce our doing. And so we also introduced four questions that we're going to start doing this week. Um, we're about to start doing something a little bit different this week. We're not starting a series. We're going to start reading through Scripture because that's where the truth's at, right, in Scripture. We're going to be straight through Scripture together. We're going to ask four questions. According to the Scripture, who is God? Who am I? What's the Bible say about me? What's God done? And what have I become because of what He's done? And so those four questions are going to give us some, some kind of clarifications on who we are and what we're called to do. Like the hope in these questions is that they would challenge you in your personal time in Scripture, like one-on-one -on -one time between you and God. And not just to read and check off the list, but to allow God to begin to change you and, to, and for you to surrender to the truths that you're reading and apply them to your lives and to faithfully carry out the commands laid out in Scripture. And that's this one step. That one step of reading Scripture and doing what it says will create an effective church. Y'all believe that? You're reading Scripture, and then you do what the Scripture says, creates an effective church. That's, that's what's been the biggest disconnect for centuries. We read Scripture for knowledge, head knowledge. We read Scripture for Facebook posts. We read Scripture for different things, and it becomes, it becomes irrelevant. So 1 John 2, 3, 1 John 2, 3 says, we know. We know. It should be in all caps if I was writing 1 John. We know. We know. It's a fact. It's an it's a undisputable fact that we have come to know him if we what? Keep his commands. That's not saying I'm going to keep his commands so that I will know him. What it's saying is I know him so I'm going to keep his commands because I love him. And then they're not burdensome is what it says in the Gospels. They're easy. It's light is what it says. And so what would happen, you think about this, what would happen if everybody in the seats this morning, just this group of people, just look around you, just these people, started doing everything they read about in Scripture? Lived it out completely, flawlessly. What would happen? You would see a community change just from these people. Forget about the thousands and thousands of people that we, we may try to reach in the church. and We have thousands of people in church in different places. Forget for the 50 or 60 or 70 people sitting in these seats. You lived out what you read. This community would change. Crime rate would go down. Disciples would be being made. You would see churches grow just because of the natural, the natural order of operations of how Scripture goes. Our response to Scripture is the greatest indicators of where we are in our relationship with Jesus. How we read it and we respond to it is the, is the biggest litmus test of where we are with Christ. If I read this and I'm like, I'm on board, let's go. 
that says, I'm a follower of Christ, if I read this and say, hmm, that's debatable, I, I might not be a follower of Christ. I have to listen and do what it says. And today we're starting something, like I said earlier, it's a little bit new. We're going to go, we're going to follow the, um, the, the 412 reading plan. Does anybody have that? Everybody have those? If you're following this, this should be really easy for you because we're going, we're going to take a passage from this each week, um, from, the, from the previous week, and we're going to read through it. And so if you've read it, it should be like a, re a review. And we're going to dig into it a little bit. We're going to talk about it. We're going to ask those four questions. So if you're, if you're invested in that, it's going to help you out a lot. If you're not, if you don't have one, stop by our Next Steps table. Everything you need is our Next Steps table. We even have little car logos. We have I mean, everything. Mints, um, er everything. You know, everything you need for life, you know, is there. So stop by there. So I want to pray for you, and then we're going to jump into some scripture um, in, in Luke 17, if you want to turn there. Father God, I love you. Um, I thank, I'm thankful for who you are. Where I'm thankful that I don't have to work my way to you, Father, that you worked your way to me through Jesus. But I just simply have to follow, I have to surrender, I have to submit, I have to obey. God, thank you that you set it up that way. Thank you that you're a good God, Father. And thank you that you're a God that loves us. Thank you, for, thank you for all that you're doing in our midst. God, I pray this morning that you would change our hearts. God, you would open our eyes, God. The, the passage we're gonna be speaking about, Father, is, is talking about spiritual sight. So this morning, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, you would open the the, the ears of our hearts, God, that we would hear, that we would see, God, that we would walk away here changed, that we would walk away here, Father, with a, a passion for what you're calling us to do, and that we'd be brave enough to walk out of sin, to say no to sin, and walk into the truth of the gospel. Lord, we love you so much. Father, in your name I pray. Amen. So anytime we go to Scripture, guys, we always talk about this. Anytime we go to Scripture, anytime, the living Word of God the, the word that God inspired, we open, our, we open ourselves up to be changed. And we have to remember that head knowledge does not, that doesn't lead to heart change, is worthless and useless. So as we're reading this, don't read this for head knowledge as much as you are for life application. Life application is what this is for. How does this apply to my life? And where do I need to walk this out in my life? How do I need to change to better align myself with what God's calling me to do and what God's calling me to do as a human and also with my individual life. And as we join Jesus in Luke 17, let's look at this. It's Luke 17. We're going to look at verses 11 through 19. And we're not going to read it quite yet, but we've just witnessed Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. A guy got raised from the dead. That's crazy, right? The man comes, he was dead, now he's alive. That's weird, okay? I'm not sure if y'all know that, but that's, that doesn't happen very often. People don't just rise from the dead very often. That's awesome. Jesus is not just a man, correct? He is the Savior of the world. He is God in the flesh. So do, when you read this, do you believe it? Do you believe Jesus really raised Lazarus from the dead or he was just in a coma? Do you believe he, all these doubts? You know, so where, where are you standing on that? Because Jesus, listen, we have to, we have to understand that if we're going to follow Christ, what, what this Bible says is what goes, like, you, if, if I look at this and I, I, I don't agree with something in here, I have to assume that I'm wrong and I need to change myself to fit this, okay? That's what it has to look like. And so anyway, we're going back to the story. Jesus had just raised up Lazarus. Jesus knew that this was going to raise the stakes for um, the religious leaders that were trying to kill him, that were trying to come against him. He knew that was happening. So what, he does, what does he do? He travels north of Jerusalem. So he's making his way back to Jerusalem for the last time here. Um, to face the, his final face-off with the religious leaders where he'll inevitably, inevitably be crucified um, and to start that whole series of events. And he goes to Jerusalem three times, and this is his third and final time. 
You can look in John 11, 54, um, for anybody else who wants to look later, but he went north to a place called Ephraim. And Ephraim just happens to be in the area we're going to be talking about today, which kind of proves his, his journey in this way. And so we talked about last week, um, it's not so much about what you believe, what we believe, but if it's the fruit, excuse me, not what we do, but it's the fruit that is attached to our beliefs that will show what we believe. We come here week after week and study scripture and worship, and so my thing is, are we allowing it to change us? Are we, are we, are we bored in worship? That's a big question. Are we bored in worship? Because when you come and worship, man, that, you're worshiping the God of the, God, all creation. This should, that should pump us up, man. Like, when we're reading Scripture, do we know the words on the page that, that, that these red letters are, are words from Jesus himself? Does that bore us? It shouldn't. It should fire us up. It should wake us up. And if we're stuck in that mind-numbing cycle of skepticism and, and, and cynicism, let's shake that off of ourselves this morning. Let's wake up. Let's get, let's get fired up and let's come humbly before Jesus and begging him to change our hearts, to be sensitive towards his voice and, and, and him leading us today. And so as we read, y'all just really pay attention to what Jesus is saying, how he's like saying things and, and how he treats people. And so we're going to start in verse 11 in chapter 17. We're going to read through verse 19. And it says this, y'all follow along. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to them, rise to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. And so I heard a story that kind of reminded me of this, uh, these, these, the other nine, about a man who was lost in the woods one time. It, it wasn't me, so don't get any weird things like that. It, well, I wasn't lost in the woods. I wouldn't do that. Um, later in describing his experience, he told, he told how scared he was, and he was frightened and terrified, and you know, all this thing. He didn't know where he was. He didn't know which way to get back. And it, the, finally, the last resort, he knelt down and prayed, his last resort. And someone said, one of the reporters interviewed him, says, did God answer your prayers? And he says, I know, the man replied. Before God had a chance to answer, a hiker showed up and showed me the way out. So my point is, you think about this, is how many times do we miss Jesus because we set up a scheduled time when Jesus is allowed to speak to us? Like a Bible study or a church service or a, a worship service or a prayer time. How many times do we miss him moving because he's not moving or, or in the places that we expected him to be? How many times do we miss him because we flat out don't know him? Or his voice, his voice sounds like because we spend very little time in his presence in this life that expect to spend eternity with him in the next. How many times do we miss him in the mundane things? So we see Jesus slowly making his way back to Jerusalem like we talked about. So he comes up to these ten lepers and these guys are shouting out. Before he gets to Jerusalem, these guys are in this little tiny village and they're outside the gates and they're there, if you, if, I'm not sure if you've done much study on leprosy, but we're going, I'm going to give you a full description in a second. It's quite gross. If you have a weak stomach, get ready. But before he leaves, he's traveling north to Jerusalem. He comes to this little village. His ten men had leprosy. Shouted out to Jesus, begging him to heal him. He says, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. How many of us have ever prayed something like that? Jesus, Master, 
have pity on me. I'm a sinner. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I can't do this by myself. Jesus, Master, heal me. Heal my parents. Heal my family. Heal my heart. Forgive me. Master, Jesus. When you come to that place, you understand the, the desperation. Leprosy in this culture was, a, was more or less a, a death sentence in this time period because and it's been around since ancient Egypt. It's been around forever. And God even used leprosy as a form of punishment in Scripture with, with Naaman and Uzziah. In Leviticus 13 and 14, you can read how God instructed the Israelites on how to deal with people who contracted leprosy. And we see in this passage in Luke 17 that the, the Israelites and the Jews are still following pretty closely the procedures that were laid out by God in Leviticus. The lepers were outside the village. They were separated from their families, their friends. The lepers were keeping their distance from Jesus because there was a, there was a certain amount of feet that they could get to other people. There was all kinds of rules. And if you know what leprosy is like, I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to give you a brief description, and we're, it's going to be uh, relevant to our, our story. The description of re, uh, leprosy is this. It might begin with nod nodules, which go on to ulcerate. The ulcers develop a foul discharge. The eyebrows fall out. The eyes become staring. The skin loses its original color. It, it becomes thick, glossy, and scaly. As the sickness progresses, the, the thickened spots become dirty sores and ulcers due to poor blood supply. The skin, especially around the eyes and ears, begin to bunch with deep furrows between the swelling so that the face of the afflicted individual be, begins to resemble that of a lion. Fingers drop off or absorb into the body. Toes are affected similarly. Eyebrows and eyelashes drop out. By this time, one can see the person is in a bad condition, is truly a leper. By the touch of the finger, one can feel it. One can even smell it, for a leper emits a very unpleasant odor. Moreover, in view of the fact that the disease-producing agent frequently attacks the larynx, the leper's voice acquires a grating quality. Leprosy might begin with a loss of all sensation in some part of the body. The nerve trunks are affected. The muscles waste away. The tendons contract until the hands are like claws. Then comes the progressive loss of fingers and toes until in the end a whole hand or a whole foot may drop off. The duration of the leprosy is anywhere between 20 and 30 years. It is kind of a terrible progressive death in which a man dies by inches. A successful vaccine was created in 1982, but there is still an estimated 2 million people today that are affected by this horrible disease. So we see that these men were in a pretty desperate place, right? You think if we were in that place right now, we'd be crying out, Jesus, Master, have pity on me, right? Well, this morning, we need to understand that these guys, they had no contact with their family. They were kicked out of society. Um, some families even had funerals for lepers they, they were actually, before they were actually even dead because they wanted to get rid of them out of their family. They're, they're dead to us. They're gone. Um, lepers couldn't go to the temple unless they were healed and were coming back to, to, to have it verified by the priest because the priests in the day were also the, the health inspectors. They would look at these guys, you got leprosy, you're healed, I'm not sure what's wrong with you. Like all the, we have, they, they, had, they had to verify the, the healing of leprosy before they were allowed to come back into society. They were completely cut off from society. They were rejects. People ran, ran away from them. Um, they smelled. They were hard to look at. And you think about the energy it took. We just read about their larynx as being, like, I'm not sure that's how you say it. I'm not medical, but they're, uh, they're, they couldn't even talk. They were, like, having a hard time producing words. And they were shouting out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us from a distance. And think about what that sounded like, just the raspy voice of somebody that was, that was about to die, that was wasting away. They were literally wasting away. And that just, master, save us, please, come, say, for, have pity on us as loudly as they could. Think about the desperation in their voice. Think about that. The desperation 
And there's, there's, there's a few things that we have to see from this story. If you look in the, in, in the first part of the story in, in, uh, in uh, verses 12 through 14, I'm going to read that again for us. And it says, As he was going into the village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance as they were supposed to and called out in a loud, raspy voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, there's more to it when he said he saw them. Whenever Jesus saw people, it wasn't just physically. He saw their hearts. He saw who they were. He saw everything about them. He saw them. And he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And they went. And as they were, went, they were cleansed. And so what I want you to see this morning is anytime a great move of God happens, faith always precedes a great move of God. Faith always precedes a miracle. Faith always precedes God moving in our lives. If lack of faith is it's impossible to please God, is what it says. I want to read that in a second. But nowhere in Scripture is there recorded one instance, not one, where God's moving in people's lives, performing miracles, where faith was not required or demonstrated. Joshua in the, in the walls of Jericho, David and Goliath, Moses before Pharaoh, Moses before the Israelites, Moses in the wilderness, Moses in the Red Sea, Noah in the ark, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Abraham and Isaac, Hosea marrying Gomer, the feeding of the four and five thousand, Paul standing before Roman emperors, the apostles standing before their executioners. Faith is what's required for a move of God. Believing that God is who he says he is. My God's going to come through. I'm chosen, not forsaken. I have faith in that. Walking that out in faith. Hebrews 11.6, it says, and without faith. Hebrews 11.6, we're going to put it on the screen for you because I want you to read this. It says, and without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. These men had heard the stories of Jesus. Jesus was a healer. They heard that before. Man, did you hear about what Jesus did in, the, in Galilee? He, he had, he'd healed these people. Like, there was hundreds of people that he just healed. They were blind, now they see. They were sick, now they're well. They were lame, now they're walking. These people were like, God, if you're there, send that man this way. Right? They were desperate for somebody. To, and when they heard Jesus was coming, what did they say? Jesus, Master, have pity on us. They were yelling out, have pity on us. Their faith was based on his reputation, not his position as the king. Right? They knew about him, but he, they, he, they want, they, they, he was not their master, so to speak. They had heard about us, that he was a great healer and that, and that this was their last resort, their Hail Mary pass, their, their last chance at life to be healed. They knew that Jesus could do that. But without their steps of faith, as we see in verses 14, it says, as they went, without their steps of faith in him, even though they may not have really believed in Jesus with God, they went on and they, and they were healed. They received a blessing of the healing. It was their next steps. The men calling out to Jesus using the word master, I said it a minute ago, is very interesting. The word for master here in the Greek, it talks about it, it being a great respect for someone greater. It wasn't necessarily saying, you're my, you, I'm, you're my Lord. That's not what it was saying. It was basically saying, you're above me. You're obviously a great man. Uh, you, you, in this moment, you're the man. Okay, I'm, I want to I hang out with you for right now. I want to be healed, Lord, please. The men calling out, is, and they were begging for, for pity. They were wanting pity more than they wanted a master. And that's where we fall in line sometimes, right? I want the miracle, not necessarily the Lord. I want the Savior, not necessarily the Lord. I don't necessarily want somebody over my life telling me which way to go or what to do, but I desperately want to be saved from hell. 
because that sounds like a very bad place, right? 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 That's what we do in church a lot. We, we talk that way a lot in church, and that's, that's that, that, that Christianese, how we talk. You know? And, you know, it's important, though, that we understand that men calling out to Jesus were at a desperate place, and when faith is all you have left, we cling to it tightly, don't we? When faith is all we have left, we cling to that tightly. But we need to cling to it in the good times, too, when things are going well, because that's where God moves. It's so much easier to believe when you're at the end of your rope than you, when you have a lot of rope, right? So good, so important. The word for cleanse here, guys, it, it means to be made whole. Made whole. So you think about these guys yelling out with their raspy voices. All of a sudden, they were clean. Like, imagine what was happening. As, as they were going, like Scripture says, their sails and their skin began to work again. They, they started getting color back to their skin. Their voices started working again. Their bodies began to work properly. Um, at, the, at the moment that Jesus said that, that started happening. And as they went, they started seeing their bodies change. They, started, they probably didn't see it in their, themselves first. They started looking at their friends like, dude, you're starting to look better, man. That's, that's awesome. Look, this, this guy's healed us. This is awesome. As they, they started running a little faster, because where were they going? They were going to the priest. So the priest could tell me I'm clean, so I can go back to my family, I can go back to my friends, and I can go back to worship. I can go in the church because that's where God's at, right? In the temple. He's not in the temple, by the way. But I'm going to go to that temple, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the sacrifices, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this so that I can get to God. They were going back to their system of worship. And so they, and their voices began, they began to get strengthened, and they, and they were fired up, but it would never have happened unless they had went, left, taken that first step away from Jesus and back to where, they were, where Jesus had told them to go. But the one came back because he realized that God wasn't at the temple, but God was inside of Jesus, right? That's what we had to see this morning. That's what we had to see. Back in 1 Samuel the, the word Ichabod was, on the, was written on the temple, which means the glory of God had departed from Israel. Okay? That, the, 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 the order that they did things, and they were worshiping the, the religion. They were worshiping their, their temple. They were worshiping their priests and all these different things. There were false idols is what they were, basically. God was inside of Jesus at that moment. And so what happened is that the one received spiritual sight. And anytime spiritual sight is given to us, it should create a heart in us of thankfulness, Right? I, I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, but I can see who Jesus is. And it, it produces in us a posture of praise. Look in verses 15 and 16. One of them, one of them, when he, was, when he saw, he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. We're going to talk about the Samaritan in a second. He knew that it was God in Jesus that had given him this gift. Listen to this. This is why it frustrates me sometimes in worship whenever I might have a bored countenance about me. God has healed this man through Jesus. This man's eyes were opened. He came to him with a loud voice praising God. A loud voice. The, the translation for that word is the same word whenever they realized Jesus has, was raised from the dead. It was a loud praise. Like he was at the top of his lungs after they had been renewed, been restored, been healed. The raspiness was gone. The disease was gone. And he was yelling at the top of his lungs, praise God for, for healing me, but not just healing me. My eyes have been opened to see who you are. You're the true God of all. And I need more than physical healing. I need healing for my spiritual leprosy. Because that's what sin is in us, is spiritual leprosy. The things that I just read about leprosy, y'all were like, all that stuff y'all just read about? is what happens with our sin in our hearts. 
our hearts look like that spiritually before Christ. That's what it is. Spiritual leprosy is what sin is. And he was restored because his eyes were open. According to John 4, we can go back and look at the Samaritans. This guy was the last person that these Jews thought should be healed because the Samaritan was a half-breed. They, were, they, had, they had intermingled with other, other cultures. They had, their religion was mixed with different things, and they were, it was just not good. They, those people are not loved by God anymore. They're gone. I'm moving them away. They were gone. But in the eyes of Jesus, that was different because he saw his faith. And you think about what it meant for a Samaritan to go to the temple where he was shunned. That was like, what? Like, what are you talking about? I can't go to that temple. Why would I want to go to that temple? They're going to shun me. They're going to kick me out. They might even kill me. Think about what kind of faith it took in Jesus to come back to Jesus and praise him. That's, that's amazing. But look at his response. He knew that God and Jesus had given them this gift. He could not restrain his praise. He could not restrain his worship. He could not restrain his thanks. His posture was saying, I want a relationship with you. I don't want just your healing. Well, you've healed me. I want more. I want more of you. And that's what Jesus does. When Jesus comes into our heart, you're not satisfied with that one. You want more of Jesus. You want more of him. He fulfills you instantly, but you want more. You want more. You want more because he's good. He's good. And last week, I shared a verse with you guys in Acts 26, um, verses 17 and 18. And this is basically a recount um, wherever, where Paul was basically um, confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Jesus said this to him. He says, I am sending you to them. Sending you, murderer of Christians. I'm sending you, somebody who's not qualified. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes, to turn them from their darkness, the sin, to light, to see God, to know, to open their eyes and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified in faith in him. Until our hearts, guys, are awakened to the knowledge of the wisdom of who Jesus is, we are in the dark. And some of us don't even know it. That's, a, that's the sad part because the Bible calls it spiritual blindness. And if we're spiritually blind, we need to be awakened to who Jesus is. And the only way that happens is through Jesus. But you put yourself in a very good place this morning if you're there because you're in church. But you need to hear this with the eyes and the ears of your heart to understand who Christ is and what he's done for us. The restorative power of the King of Kings flowed through all 10 men. The restorative power, they were, all 10 were restored. But only one of those healed returned with eyes open to who Jesus was. Not just the healer, but the Savior. He saw he was healed, but he, need, he saw he needed Jesus for much more than his physical healing. And the others, they missed it. They moved on and went back to their religious practices. And Jesus constantly warned the Pharisees and religious leaders about this. And you look at this and in Matthew 23, verses 25 through 28. We see the outward cleansing will never save you. No amount of religion that you do, no amount of Bible study or church attendance or no amount of serving or giving will ever save us. None of that will help. It's just, I mean, it's just, you're just wearing yourself out without Christ. And unless our being creates our doing, that's going to hurt us. Our being has to create our doing. And these Pharisees were putting all these rules in place for all the Jews, and they were causing them just to, I mean, it was, it was terrible. Matthew 23, 25 through 26, this is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. He's very harsh. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of greed and indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, 
and then the outside will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones and of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And so I look at verses 17 through 19, and Jesus asks three questions. He says, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has only one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. These three rhetorical questions here drive home an important point of ingratitude and indifference of what God's done for these guys. Like the first one says, were not all ten cleansed? Jesus knew all ten were cleansed. <laughs> At the moment he said it, he knew they were cleansed. He's an eternal God. He knew it. But you can actually read this a little bit differently in the Greek. It says, there were ten cleansed, were they not? Weren't there? He knew. This was a po- it was expecting a, a positive answer. That would, have been a, that would have been another way to say it. I can see, honestly, Jesus... I mean, my flesh wants to see Jesus almost like opposite and saying, like, one, ten, cleanse, where, where are they at? You know, but for me, like, I honestly feel like that he was in tears at this moment because, like, they didn't get it. Their eyes are still closed. They, they're still thinking that broken system that they're walking back to is going to save them. They're still thinking that one more thing that they do, that one more sacrifice that they do is going to save them. It's not. And, he's, and he, I, 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 would, I would picture Jesus as, 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 as tear-filled eyes, hoping that the nine would have come back with the one. Because that's what he's doing for us. He wants us to come to him. He wants us to come back. He went after the one, is what it says in Luke chapter 15. The next question, where are the other nine? That was, that was the next question he asked. Where are the other nine? In other words, it would, it would have read more like, like the original, but the nine, they are where? That's the, that's the original translation of it. But the nine, they're where? It's like a, what, where the heck are they at? It's more of a, they ought to be here. They're where? Why are they not here with you? Presumably, Jesus was saying they're on, they're on the way to the priest. They're moving towards the priest. Maybe with a view like, we're going to, we're going to go see the priest. We're clean. He's, he's going to see it. The priest is going to see it. Then, then we're going to be, we'll be able to go into the temple. We'll be able to offer sacrifices. And we'll be able to go back to our lives the way we liked them and the way they were comfortable. We're going to the temple because, because ultimately we have to go there to make the sacrifices that are required of the one who's been cleansed. Uh, we're going to the temple. And when we get to the temple, sure, we're grateful. We're excited. Jesus, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, we're enthusiastic. This is an unbelievable thing that's happened. But when we get to the temple, we'll worship God where we should actually worship God. It's in the temple. That's wrong. That's wrong. We'll thank God there and we'll praise God when we get to the place where God dwells. But they missed it because God was dwelling in Jesus and the one got it. And the third is saying, has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner the foreigner was a Samaritan. The Samaritans were looked at as, as trash by the Jews. And they didn't have the promise. They didn't have the covenant. And basically what this was was a foreshadowing of Jesus coming for the Gentiles as well. Jesus is here for all of us. Jesus came for all of us. And so this morning, what he said to him, and I want us all to hear this. The last verse, he says, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Made you well is more closely translated to say you are, your faith has saved you. That doesn't mean just um, physical wellness, physical salvation. Spiritually, you're fully saved. You've been clean on the outside, but you've also been clean on the inside, brother. That's what he's saying to him. 
You've been clean on the inside. And so my question this morning, I have four, is what we talked about. Who is God? You can look at this and see God is the healer. I'm not sure where you're at this morning or where you've been or where you've come from or, or what's going on in your life, but God is, God is the healer. God heals us from our diseases, both physically and spiritually. This morning, you may be stuck in a pattern of sin. You may be stuck with your spiritual leprosy may be eating you away on the inside. You don't even know what it is. You can't even describe it because you don't have words for it. You know? God can heal that in an instant. As you turn from your sin, you turn towards Jesus. God's love. Think about the compassion that Jesus had on that road. He saw these 10 guys who were not easy to look at, not easy to stand close to, not easy to listen to. And he, was, he loved those guys to the point. And it, it kind of foreshadows our relationship with Jesus too. You think about it, he knew those nine were going to come to him. Right? He's God, he's sovereign. He knew those nine were going to come. But what did he do? He still saved him. He still made a way. He still made a way. He still healed him. Excuse me. He still healed him. He still made a way for them to come. Just like Jesus. God knew that all of us in this room were going to turn to Christ. But he still sent Jesus to make a way. Just in case you wanted to. Just in case you made that decision. That's awesome. That's, that's love, right? That's love. That's the ultimate form of love. Sending someone that, to die when there may or may not be a, a, a chance of you coming, of you wanting to be, be with the person that I've, I've sent for you. And last, God is the restorer. He's the redeemer. He's the reconciler. We, the First Corinthians talks about how we, we have a ministry of reconciliation. We've been called Christ ambassadors. Like we've been given the same ministry as Jesus on this earth to, to bring people back to a knowledge of who God is and who, what Jesus has done for us. You hear me? That's what we had to hear this morning. He's a great redeemer, restorer, and the reconciler. Well, what does that make me? I'm a leper. I'm unclean. I'm, I have to, just like these lepers in the, in the ancient times, they had to walk around unclean, unclean. They had to walk around talking to people like, hey, I, don't come around me. I'm unclean. Don't come around. How would you like to, that to be the way you walked around Walmart? That'd be terrible, right? Hey, I'm unclean. Don't come over here. I don't smell good. Don't look at me. Look the other way. That, that is a total, complete, just humiliation, right? These guys are humiliated. They were beat down by their culture. They were beat down by themselves. They were just complete bottom-of-the-barrel people in that day. And that's who we are without Christ, spiritually speaking. I am a spiritual leper. But what has God done? Third question, what has God done? He's healed us. He's provided a way of healing through Jesus of our spiritual leprosy. He's restored us to himself. When there was no way, like we talked about last week in Genesis 3, there was separation in the garden. No, the sin has separated us from God. He has made a way back through the cross. He's reconciled my sin. God has taken us, who all deserve hell, and made a way back to him by, by healing our spiritual leprosy and putting us back in good standing with God. That is something to be celebrated, right? That is something to be celebrated. That's big. But the, the problem is, the church has taught us, if I go to church, if I walk an aisle, if I get baptized, then I'm in that number. And that is not accurate. That is, that is not scriptural. The Bible says, 
that our, our, that he says, whenever I know him, I'm going to obey him. The Bible says, you shall know them by their fruit. The fruit is what shows your heart where you're at. If I go into a field and I see oranges on the ground in front of this tree, I'm like, that's an orange tree, right? It's, it's right? I mean, it's, that's, that's simple, right? That's, that's what it is. If, if you come to my life, if you come into my life and you look on the ground, you should see fruit of a Christian. You should see fruit of somebody who follows Jesus. You should see someone who's making disciples. You should see someone who's pointing people back to Jesus with everything that I do, everything that I am, with all my heart. If you don't see that in my life, you can't call me a Christian just by definition. And so that's where we've lost track. Some of us have, in, in, in our culture have, have claimed Jesus as our, as our Savior, but never as our Lord. And Scripture tells us that you can't have it that way. He's Lord and He's Savior. He's not either or. Jesus is not a, a buffet line where we're choosing what we like and leaving what we don't like. He's who He is. And so what or who have I become? We have a choice. We have a response. I love responses, right? He's given me a choice, so I have to respond. We don't get a chance not to respond. Am I, do I relate to the nine who've walked away from Jesus and said, thank you, I'm good now? Or am I at his feet saying, thank you, God, for opening my eyes to the sea that I had spiritual leprosy, I had, I had physical leprosy, I also had a heart problem that I needed you to fix. And you did that. Thank you. Where do we stand? Whenever I said those two choices, you know where you stand at. It's, there's not like, uh, I'm in the middle somewhere. You know where you're at. You know where you're at. And this morning, I just want to tell you that we're at, at Connection Church. We are a church that loves to um, walk with you through you know, things like this. And you know, I want to my, I want to do my best. I will always preach scripture up here, but I will also. Our church will always walk alongside of people as they come to know Jesus and as they walk into their next step and their next step and their next step. So my question is, are you the one who came back to recognize Jesus? Or are you in the group of nine? Have you fallen at the feet of Jesus and worshiped him with a loud voice, worshiping him? Thank you, Jesus. Are we stuck in our pride like, I worship when I get home. I'm just going to do this right now. This is good enough. A little rock, you know. Just keep it right here where it's safe. No, we need to praise Jesus for who he is, right? We need to praise him for who he is, not bound by our pride. Who cares if I'm raising my hand in worship? I'm worshiping God, not the person sitting next to me. I'm worshiping him for who he, what he's done for me and who he is in my life. Pride should be gone. Have, have you allowed Satan to draw you away from God, draw you away from the Lord by, by sin or by, by a relationship or by, by some sort of hurt or pain? Have you forgotten to turn back to God to give him thanks and praise for the good things that he's done in your life. Have you forgotten to say thank you? God, thank you, for, thank you for healing me from that disease. God, thank you for restoring my marriage. God, thank you for removing that addiction from my life. Thank you, Father. Thank you for giving me life. Thank you for waking me up this morning. Thank you for restoring life to my family. Guys, there's a God that's intimately involved in the details of everyone in this room. Intimately detailed in the order of our life. But because of our sin, we've been separated from God. We've separated ourselves from him and gone our own way. But we need a healer. We need Jesus to restore us and make us whole. And this morning, if, if you're in a place where you need healing, you, have, you realize that I, I still have leprosy in my heart that I need God to remove. 
just simply by saying a word. Let's get that right this morning. You know what I mean? Let's get that right. If, if, you, if you're in a situation where you've gone away from God and you need to come back this morning, let's make that right this morning. We're going we're gonna to open up this altar in a second. Come make it right. Get on your knees and say, God, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. That's enough. If you're stuck in sin this morning, let somebody pray with you, man. James talks about the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Believe that. Let someone pray with you this morning. Let's get that stuff gone and let's walk away in freedom. Freedom is what these guys walked away in. If you've never experienced salvation this morning, I, my heart for you this morning is that you, was, you would kill pride in your heart that says, you're fine, you can do it later. Um, people are going to look at you. I pray that you would just destroy that lie from the enemy. And I don't care if you're on stage or if you're in the back or if we're or if, wherever we are. If we've never surrendered our life to Christ, we have some work to do. And we have a, we have a decision to make. Because one thing I know about Jesus, you'll bow knee now to a Savior or you'll bow knee later to a judge. And I pray right now that we would do it to a Savior this morning, to a Lord this morning, because he's good. Look at the story we read this morning. He's so good. He loves us. He's not burdensome. And so if you've never followed, um, made a decision to follow Christ, to surrender your life completely over to him, that's something you want to do this morning. I just want to ask you to slip your hand in there and let us pray with you. Let us walk back with, that with you because we don't want you to do that alone. Is that anybody this morning? Okay. Awesome. Well, if, if uh, we're, about to go, we're about to sing a song together. It's called Come to the Altar. It's a great song. And I want you guys to just, just feel free to come pray. Come lay some stuff down and just let it go for the last time and be done with it. And let God work in your heart this morning. And so let me pray for you, and then um, you guys can just come as I pray. Father, we love you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for loving us like you have. I thank you for giving your son for us, Jesus. I, God, without you, there's no way. Without Jesus, there's no way. God, come heal our hearts, God. Father, come remove the leprosy in our hearts, God. Remove the, the pride from our hearts, God. Remove the, the, the arrogance and, the, and, the, and just the hurt from our hearts, God. Come be the great restorer, the great healer, Father. Father, you're the one that can. You're the only one that can do this. We love you. And I pray.